Well, good morning, gang. It is Tuesday morning, August 25th, once again, uh, here with you for our devotion, looking at the Old Testament uh, lectionary text for this upcoming Sunday. We've been doing that, oh, pretty frequently. I mean, for the last uh, couple months, I guess you could say, um, just trying to see, you know, what maybe was in the people's minds that chose these texts as they related it to the gospel text, which is typically the text that is preached. And uh, this week, the gospel text is Matthew 16, verses 21 through 28. And uh, what happens there is directly after Jesus has revealed his identity, or at least confirmed his identity as the Messiah to the apostle Peter and the disciples, uh, right after that, Jesus then goes on to shock his disciples, as he often does, by declaring that um, what's going to happen next, or very soon, is that this Messiah is going to endure a cross, that he's going to go to Jerusalem, be persecuted by the religious leaders and the establishment, and that he's going to die, but that on the third day he'll raise again. And if you remember, in this particular passage, Peter responds by declaring to God what is actually going to happen to him by saying, no way. May it never be. There's no possible way. As a matter of fact, I won't let it happen. I won't let it happen, Lord. I will protect you from these bad guys, and I will make sure that nothing ever bad comes upon you. Peter thinking, of course, in the line of the glory story. You know, that is the way that people think, that uh, that the Messiah or God is there uh, to give us glory, and Peter wants all in on that glory. And Jesus, in turn, rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, because you don't know the purposes of God in this. And so uh, it's a pretty famous passage. You probably heard it before. And then he goes on to tell his disciples that, indeed, uh, they are called to pick up a cross daily. And to pick up a cross, to take up your cross, is really another way of saying we are called to die to ourselves, that, um, it, or to paraphrase Martin Luther, you know, some 1500 years later, uh, all of life is repentance for the Christian. All of the Christian life is one of repentance. Well, that's what we're going to see in the Old Testament text for this week, found out of Jeremiah 15, verses 15 through 21. Jeremiah 15, verses 15 through 21. Now, if you're familiar with Jeremiah, then you probably know that Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. And he's known as the weeping prophet because, you guessed it, there's an awful lot of weeping in this book. It's not a pleasant time, and Jeremiah has been raised up as a prophet in a time of great struggle and persecution for the people of God. Uh, basically, the people of God have rebelled against him for hundreds of years, and though they have been warned many, 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 many times that if they don't repent, that they are going to face judgment, that they are going to be invaded, that they are going to lose their land. Nevertheless, they keep on per, uh, persisting in their unbelief and unrepentance, and indeed the judgment does come. And uh, throughout the, the prophecy of Jeremiah, you're going to hear him on the one hand stand up in the boldness of the Spirit with the Word of God on his lips and declare the truth of God to the people that are rebelling, especially to the establishment, to the religious leadership. And as a result, you're going to see that Jeremiah is often shunned and persecuted and even uh, has his um, 
uh, life attempted to be ended because he refuses to stop uh, preaching the word of God. And so externally, you get this sense that Jeremiah is this bold, fearless man that's going to go out and uh, say what needs to be said, no matter what. But internally, you find throughout the book that Jeremiah, even as he proclaims this word, is a man that's full of struggle and full of doubt and is often wondering if he is on the right side here, is often wondering if he really is speaking for God and even doubts if God is for him at times. And indeed, I mean, if any preacher has chosen to stand up and preach the truth from the scriptures, especially regarding difficult issues that you know, the majority of the people or the cultural headwinds are against, they know this feeling. The, the preacher struggles with having to say uncomfortable truths too. And so they might proclaim it boldly. They might say it clearly and forcefully, but internally there will be times as well where you go, I hope, I hope I'm really on the right side here. That can happen to anybody who proclaims the word of God because the word of God is a sword and it cuts between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It reveals stuff and it can get uncomfortable. And so Jeremiah is in one of those times right now in Jeremiah 15, where he feels like God is against him. He feels like, you know, hey, I'm being faithful here and I don't feel like you're, you're on my side in this. And I would imagine whether you're a preacher or not, you've had times like that too. Most human beings have where you've wondered, is God for me? Because right now, life doesn't seem to be reflecting that. Seems like it's harder than I ever imagined it would be. So with that by way of background, let's look at Jeremiah 15, beginning at verse 15. Jeremiah says, O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. Now, a couple things here right up front. When Jeremiah requests for God to remember him, it's important to hear that in light of what happens all throughout Scripture when God does remember something. When God is said to remember someone, that is a time where God is said to act on that person's behalf or act on behalf of his promises. For God to remember as if he's ever forgotten, But for God to remember in Scripture is another way of saying God is going to be for this person. And so you'll hear about him remembering the promises that he's made to his people in the wilderness or remembering the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's that kind of stuff. Jeremiah says, remember me, and he's, you know, act on my behalf. And in this case, he's wanting God to act out against his persecutors. And listen, you know, we can sort of look at that and go like, man, you know, is it okay to pray for vengeance upon the people that would persecute you? I mean, doesn't Jesus say to love your enemy, turn the other cheek? Yes, he does. And that indeed is, I think, the goal. But is it very human and understandable for us to want the people that are unjustly hurting us and hurting our family to indeed face justice for what they're doing? Yeah, it's the most human thing ever. Jeremiah is expressing real human emotions here. 
can you deal with these people, please? Because I'm alone and I'm hurting and I'm struggling. And it seems like they're getting away with murder here. And uh, I'm trying to be faithful to you, Jeremiah says. He continues, in your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake, I bear reproach. Indeed, the whole book of Jeremiah is him bearing reproach from especially the powerful. And Jeremiah doesn't have many options to protect himself. Ends up being thrown in a cistern and left to die and would have died if not for outside intervention. He says this, verse 16, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Now this is common uh, imagery that's given in the prophets whenever they come across God and they're called into the prophetic ministry. Uh, actually, God will even have people like Ezekiel take up a scroll and eat the scroll as a symbolic gesture of them imbibing and, and ingesting the word of God so that they might in turn preach that word of God to others. Jeremiah says, you know, when I first was called into this ministry and I got a hold of your word, they were a joy to me. I mean, they, they tasted great. They were the delight of my heart. I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. This is the tension. Jeremiah says, when I began this, I was zealous. I had your word. I had everything I needed. I didn't, and, and because of that, I didn't sit in the company of revelers. I didn't, I didn't go after the same sins they did. I didn't fall after the same things they did. Granted, Jeremiah is not claiming any sort of moral perfection here or sinlessness, but he's just making a contrast between those who have persecuted him, those who have hurt the people of God, and himself. And he says, I didn't, get, I didn't do the same things they were doing. Uh, and yet, even though I love your word and I didn't do what they were doing, I'm all, I'm all alone here. And as a matter of fact, it feels like your hand was upon me. And your, you, it feels like you filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing, he says, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? I got to tell you, folks, one of the things that uh, shows me that Scripture is real, that, that it's a real account of humanity interacting with the divine, is stuff like this. It's the ability for people to sound like people. The Psalms are filled with this stuff. The Psalms of the men have words like this all the time. This is as real as it gets. I'm in pain. It doesn't seem like it's going away. My wound never heals. Listen, I'm beginning to think that you're a deceitful brook, like waters that fail. The picture there is probably something similar. Oh, I don't know, maybe, maybe coming upon a geyser. Uh, not a geyser that's shooting up, but you know, you, you see water in the middle of the desert or in the middle of the mountains or wherever you might be, and you're, you're thirsty as all get out, and you go to get a drink, and it's hot, and it smells like sulfur. Does it, you seem like that kind of water to me. 
sure you promise the water of life, but I feel like all I'm getting is the water of death. It's not, not drinkable to me right now. Where are you, God? And yet, as much as I appreciate the fact that God allows us to vent like this, I also appreciate all the more God's response to Jeremiah, to the prophets, to his people all throughout when we do vent like this, because the response gets us back on track. God responds, Therefore, thus says the Lord, If you return, I will restore you and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. God's response to Jeremiah again and again and again, and this is instructive for us and very much related to the gospel text for this weekend again in Matthew 16 and 21 through 28. Jeremiah, the answer is always the same. Repent. Come back. I can tell by your thoughts, I can tell by your words that you're, you're off track in your thinking about me. I understand you're human. I'm allowing you to do it. I'm even going to let it be recorded in my eternal word, and I'm going to allow the whole world to see it. But Jeremiah, come back to me. You've strayed in feeling sorry for yourself, in the pain that you're going through, you strayed. Come back and I'll restore you. I'll protect you. I'll empower you. That's what he said. I'll give you the, these words that are precious and you will be my mouth. Verse 20, and I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. And I love this word for I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. You could just isolate those words and speak them every day over your life and over your family's life. Why is God with us? To save us and deliver us. To save us and deliver us. Quick story related to this verse, and it, it just so happens to uh, have been that this verse was coming this week. I didn't plan this, but it was probably, oh man, we're looking back now, probably 20 years ago, I had a job uh, at a hotel and I was a shuttle bus driver and also cleaned rooms, just kind of did whatever needed to be done at the place. And I was really discouraged with, I was just, I was in kind of a spot like Jeremiah was here really discouraged with God, very frustrated with whatever he was doing in my life. I mean, I, I just felt like throwing in the towel. And I went to go clean a room and somebody uh, had left a Bible in the room. And it was a clearly worn Bible. Somebody had already left and they forgot it and it had definitely been used. And so I went to go turn it into the lost and found. And, um, and, and I, um, and I just happened to, to open it just a little bit before I did turn into the lost and found. And I was praying silently, just like, God, help me. I'm struggling. I'm angry at you. And out falls this little orange piece of paper, tiny little orange piece of paper from the Bible. 
And I picked it up because I didn't want anything lost from the Bible. It's like I said, it was marked up. It had all sorts of bookmarks and little things in there. I picked it up and on this little orange slip of paper, in the midst of me praying, the words were written, I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. God's word is constantly delivering that message to us. In the midst of struggle, in the midst of persecution, when it feels like God's against us, God is constantly reminding us in his word through the mouth of a preacher, I am with you to save you and deliver you. Through my son Jesus Christ's finished work, I have declared you to be not just forgiven, but entirely righteous. Yes, yes, there may be weeping in the night, but in the morning joy is coming. Yes, there's hardship in this life. He said as much. He promised that there would be cross-bearing. True. But it's never, never separated from him being with us to save us and deliver us. He is with us through the hardship. He is with us in the midst of it. He is not against you, though it may feel that way. His word declares something else, and his promises are true. And so he concludes the passage to Jeremiah, I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. And indeed, that promise is for you too today. You might face wickedness. You may face hardship in this life. This isn't a promise that Jeremiah will never face any other wickedness or any other ruthlessness. No, it's, it's going to happen. But it is a promise about what's ultimately true. What's ultimately true for Jeremiah, for you, and for me is this word. He will deliver us out of the hand of those who would do us harm. And he will redeem us. And he has redeemed us from the grasp of the ruthless. And it is on those promises that we base our life, that we go out into the world and seek to serve our neighbors, that we are indeed uh, saved and delivered. And he is present with us to remind us of that each and every day. All right, gang, that is six verses from Jeremiah 15. I hope that was uh, helpful and encouraging to you. God is with you to save you and deliver you. Be encouraged. I will see you next Tuesday. God bless.